Well, I'm glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, we are continuing our series in Leviticus. So if you weren't here with us last week and you're thinking, wait, wait, what did you just say? Did you just say we're doing a series in Leviticus? Don't worry. Don't worry. I know that Leviticus might not be your favorite book to read whenever you're doing your one-year Bible reading plan, but I can assure you it is jam-packed with some awesome stuff, and that's why we're going through this series. Uh, we want to kind of dig that, that stuff out. Uh, one of my favorite things about the book of Leviticus is I've just been uh, going through uh, and studying it, uh, preparing for this series, is it makes the gospel come alive in ways that the gospel would not come alive if we did not know the background. Um, wait, you'll just it, Once you start to learn the book of Leviticus and then you start reading the New Testament, it'll start making things in the New Testament come alive to you in ways that you had not seen before. And, uh, you know, last week, uh, for those of you who were here, we talked about the sacrificial system, right? And so I hope that maybe that kind of sheds some light on what happened on the cross a little bit more uh, for some of you guys, right? And then today we're going to be talking about the priesthood. Um, so remember, uh, the book of Leviticus is, if I could summarize the book of Leviticus in one sentence, here is what I would say the book of Leviticus is. It is how a holy God graciously makes a way for an unholy people to dwell in his midst. It's how a holy God graciously makes a way for an unholy people to dwell in his midst. That's what the whole book of Leviticus is about. It is there to solve that problem. Remember, what's our problem? God is and we are Exactly. God is holy and we are not. So last week we looked at part of the solution was the sacrificial system. This week we're going to look at the priesthood. So if you remember this graphic from last week, I'll uh, have Avery throw that up there for me. So this is how the book of Leviticus is broken up. There's three uh, categories uh, of solutions, right, that are offered. So there's rituals, the priesthood, and purity. And it's kind of sandwiched. So the ritual is the first thing and the last part of Leviticus. And then you move a little bit inward. Now you've got the priesthood in chapters 8 to 10 and 21 to 22. And then you move inward and you've got the purity laws. And then sandwiched in between all that is the Day of Atonement. And that's what James is going to be talking about next week. I'm a little bit jealous because that's one of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament, really. And James gets to preach it. But that's how it, that's how it fell. So thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate it. That's true. There you go. There you go. I like it. Ideas are flowing. They're flowing. So, the, so as I said, Leviticus 8, 9, and 10 uh, is where uh, the priesthood gets laid out. So it's, it's really cool how it's laid out. Basically, chapter 8 is the, ordination, is the ordination of Aaron and his sons for the priesthood. Chapter 9 is the inauguration, which uh, what that means is it's the first they, uh, it's the first uh, sacrifice they offer as priests. And then chapter 10 is where everything goes wrong. So there's the ordination of the priests in chapter 8, the inauguration of priests in chapter 9, and the contamination of the priests in chapter 10. We saw the contamination last week with Nadab and Abihu. Remember what happened to them? Yeah, it's because they didn't do things the way that they were supposed to do. Okay, so today's passage, we're going to be in Leviticus 8, and we're going to look at the ordination of the priesthood. It's a very detailed process. You're going to see that as we read, okay? I know we're going to read 23 verses, and you're going to maybe get a little bit fatigued uh, about halfway through. Don't worry. We're going to make our way through this together. We can do this, all right? Uh, and there's some, there's some good stuff. Uh, but before we do, we need to ask the question, why were priests so important? Like, What did they do? What's the point of this stuff anyways? Well, there are four functions, main functions of priests in the Old Testament. And if you uh, 
By the way, are there, uh, is a sermon guide on the table in front of us? They did not get put out. I'm sorry about that. Well, if there were sermon guides, you could fill it out right now, but they're not, they're not so you can't, uh, unless Beth finds them at the last minute. So, um, there's four main functions of priests in the Old Testament. Number one, they led Israel in the worship and praise of God. Okay, They led Israel in the worship and the praise of God. Number two, uh, they lived set apart and committed lives. Okay, They lived set apart and committed lives, so uh, they were held to a higher standard. Uh, they actually, uh, the only job they had was to serve at the tabernacle as priests. Okay, That was it. That's what they did. Uh, third, they represented God to the people. So they taught the people about who God was. They taught the people the law. Okay? And they also represented the people before God. They were mediators, right? Not just anybody could go walk up into God's presence, right? Not just anybody could come to God. So uh, the people would take their sacrifices to the priests, and then the priests would offer sacrifices and prayers to God on their behalf, all right? So we don't have the priesthood today, obviously, right? Um, Some people uh, would maybe look to... Catholic uh, priests or something like that. Uh, a lot of people, when they think of church, they'll think of uh, priests like you'd find in a Catholic church, and, and uh, a lot of people will see them as holy men who maybe have some special access to God. But the Bible teaches us that if you are a Christian, that you are a priest. Did you know that? Did you know that if you are a Christian, that you're a priest? I'll, I'll show you where it says that. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, just so you know that I'm not making that up, and that didn't just come from my head. Here's what it says in 1 Peter 2.9. Peter's writing to the church and he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So this is actually one of the distinguishing marks of Baptists, by the way, okay? Uh, a lot of times people ask me, what's the difference between Baptists? Like, what is a Baptist anyway? So there's some distinctions, and one of them is called the priesthood of the believer, and that's this concept right here. The priesthood of the believer, uh, there, there's a couple of things that, that the priesthood of the believer means for us. Number one, it means that nobody can respond to the gospel for you, Okay? You must respond personally to the gospel. Everybody has, uh, it's called soul liberty is another way that the theologians used to put it back in the day. Uh, The gospel gets presented to you and you and only you can make the decision to follow God. A bishop cannot make that decision for you. You cannot be born into Christianity and become a Christian just because your parents were. We individually respond to the gospel. We're saved by faith, through by grace through faith. Another thing that the priest of the believer means is that Everybody has access to God. Now, guys, this is huge, and it's taken for granted, I think, a little bit today, but we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Anybody heard of the Reformation? Just celebrated that? So the Reformation's a big, kind of a big deal, because up until the Reformation, uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church essentially had morphed into something that was not good, uh, and uh, people, everyday people like us, did not have access to the Bible. Uh, we weren't allowed to have the Bible. Uh, the Bible was in Latin, and nobody knew how to read Latin, and the church made sure and kept it that way and said that, no, no, you're not allowed to talk to God on your own, and you're not allowed to read the Scriptures for your own. You just trust us, and we'll tell you what they say and how to live it, right? That's how things were for 
like a thousand years, guys. And the Reformation changed all of that as men uh, began to look at the Bible and go, hold on a second, that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that we are a royal priesthood, that we all have access to God. In fact, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 puts it like this. It says that, since then we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is incredibly good news, church, because this means you don't need to go to a church to talk to God, to confess your sins. You don't need a, a, a holy man to do all these things. You yourself can go to God in Jesus' name, and he hears you when you pray. He forgives you when you confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive your sins. And the reason that all of this is possible is because of Jesus, okay? He said that Jesus is the great high priest. Now, the Levitical priesthood that we're going to study today uh, was not the uh, solution to the problem, okay? It's going to be kind of a stopgap, stop just like the sacrificial system uh, that was implemented that we looked at last week wasn't the final uh, solution to the problem, was it? How was that fulfilled? How was that sacrificial system that we looked at last week fulfilled? Anybody remember? Lamb of God, Jesus, right? Because the, uh, the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sin, so Jesus died, okay? In the same way, this Aaronic priesthood, the priesthood of Aaron and his sons, is not going to be uh, the best solution. We need a perfect high priest, and so Jesus was that high priest. See, like, uh, unlike Aaron, Jesus did not need to offer sacrifices for his own sins before he went into the presence of God. Jesus didn't have any sins. Unlike Aaron, Jesus isn't dead. Jesus lives forever, and so that's why Hebrews 7.24 says that the former priesthood were many in number because they kept dying, so more priests had to be ordained but Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Unlike Aaron, Jesus only had to offer one sacrifice for all time, whereas Aaron and his sons, they had to offer sacrifices again and again and again because people kept sinning, but Jesus offered one sacrifice for all time for all the sins of the world. Hebrews 10, 11 to 14 tells it like this. It says that every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his seat. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified." So what that means, church, is that the blood of Jesus shed for you and for me is sufficient to cover all of our sins. And we don't need to, to do anything else to make up for our sins, okay? Like, I know that most of you are not tempted to go into your backyard and slaughter a goat to atone for your sins, but, but here's the thing. We do try to atone for our own sins sometimes. It might not look like that anymore, but we'll think, well, well, maybe if I, uh, if I just go to church enough and, and I do some good works, then that will be my sacrifice that I'll offer to God and he will accept me, right? But, but here's the deal. There's only one sacrifice for all time, right? The debt has already been paid. You don't need to do that. You can't do that. 
because the sacrifice, the, the blood of bulls and goats and your good works can never take away sin. Only the blood of Jesus can take away sin. Only the blood of Jesus. In Christ, everybody has direct access to God. Anybody has direct access to God through Jesus because of what he's done on the cross. That's pretty good news, isn't it? Amen? It's very good news. It's very good news. That's what the priesthood of the believer is about. Uh, I've heard some people describe the book of Hebrews as God's commentary on the book of Leviticus. So if you want to get a little bit deeper into Leviticus, uh, I would challenge you, read Leviticus and Hebrews together, and it'll be really cool. Trust me, it's awesome. Uh, Hebrews basically explains everything that's going on in Leviticus. The tabernacle, the priests, the sacrifices, everything we see in Leviticus, all of these things point to Jesus. They all point to Jesus. They are not an end in and of themselves. In fact, Hebrews says that they were a copy or a shadow of the things to come, right? They were just a physical copy of a spiritual heavenly reality, okay? So we're not called to be priests like Aaron was a priest, but all believers all are all called to priesthood. So we need to pay careful attention to the expectations that God put on Aaron and his sons as priests because they apply to us. That's how Leviticus 8 applies to us. And Leviticus chapter 8 teaches us how God prepares us for that priesthood. So here's what we're going to do for the rest of our time. I'm going to go ahead and lay this out for you, okay? We're going to look at four lessons from Leviticus 8 on the preparation for priesthood, all right? We're going to look at four lessons from Leviticus 8 on the preparation for priesthood. Uh, we're going to read this text. It's going to be Leviticus 8, 1 to 23. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Again, just hang in there with me. We'll get through the text, and then we're going to break it down, and it'll start to make some sense, okay? So Leviticus chapter 8, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on the tables in front of you, so feel free to grab one of those uh, as well, or you can just read it on the screen behind me. Here's what God's Word says. This is the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread. And assemble the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons, and he washed them with water. And he put the coat on him, and tied the sash around his waist, and clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him, and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breastpiece on him, and in the breastpiece he put the Urim and the Thummim, and he put the turban on his head, and on the turban in front he set the golden plate, the holy ground, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it, and consecrated them. And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, and anointed the altar and all of its utensils, and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. Then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and clothed them with coats and tied sashes around their waists and bound caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he brought the bull of the sin offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering and he killed it and Moses took the blood and with his finger put it on the horns of the altar around it and purified the altar 
and poured out the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. And he took all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull and its skin and its flesh and its dung he burned up with fire outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. He cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head and the pieces and the fat. He washed the entrails and the legs with water, and Moses burned the ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering for the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. And then he presented the other ram, the ram of ordination. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it. And Moses took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. All right. So, I know that that's very involved, and there's a lot going on here, okay? Let me try to help us understand why there's a lot going on here. So it's very meticulous and and very detailed, but think about this. Think about if you were called into the service of some extremely powerful king, right, or dictator, and you were called to go and work in his courtroom, okay, and you were given tasks, and you were told, this is exactly how the king wants things done. You don't mess up these tasks that the king has given you. Make sure that they are done exactly right. If that was you, would you want a very, very detailed, specific instruction list on how exactly how to do things? Yeah? You'd want, I mean, you'd want word for word. I want to know exactly how, these, how the king wants this done. I want to know exactly how to do it, what time he wants it, you know, how he wants things to look, right? Because this is an important task, and I'm serving a very powerful person, right? That kind of gives us an idea of why this was such a big deal, Okay? Aaron is getting prepared to walk into the presence of God, that God that we talked about last week, the one who is holy, holy, holy. The the same God who, when his presence filled the tabernacle in Exodus 40, Moses couldn't even go inside. Like he couldn't even get in. That's how powerful the presence of God is. So that's why this is so detailed. So let's look at the lessons that we see here in Leviticus chapter 8 for the preparation of priesthood, all right? Lesson number one, remember that God does the preparing or the prepping. Remember that God does the prepping. God is the one that preps us for priesthood. If you noticed in this passage that I just read, Moses is the one doing all of the acting in this passage, isn't he? Aaron's not really doing anything at all. Aaron's just kind of a passive participant. Everything's being done to Aaron. God is the one that initiates this entire process and says, Moses, here's what I want you to do to prepare Aaron and his sons. God doesn't ask Aaron if he's interested in the position either, does he? No. God doesn't say, hey, Aaron, I mean, would you, would you maybe just want to be my priest and serve me? No. God says, hey, here's what's going to happen. Aaron, you're going to be my guy. See, priesthood is not something that somebody can claim. It's not something that you can aspire to or decide to do. God is the one who chooses and who prepares, right? So deciding suddenly that you're going to be a priest before God would be like somebody deciding I'm going to be a king, right? Like if I just started walking around and saying, I'm the king of Oshawa, right? People would be like, well, who says? Well, I do, 
Well, that doesn't make sense. Nobody can walk around saying they're the king of Oshawa. That's not how these things work, right? We can't just decide to be priests. God chooses who his priests are going to be, what they're going to do, and he's the one who equips them to do it. Here's the deal. Scripture teaches that if you are a Christian, it is because God chose to save you. Scripture is very clear about that. And Scripture even teaches that God has already prepared the good works that you were going to do beforehand. Did you know that? Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says this. Paul's writing to the church in in Ephesus, excuse me, and he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, depending on who you are, this can be either good news or bad news, okay? Um, If you are self-righteous and proud, then this is bad news, and you may be bristling at this idea that God chose you to be saved, and that God's the one that prepared your good works beforehand. It might rub you the wrong way. Uh, The proud bristle at the thought of that because our flesh doesn't like hearing it. The flesh wants control, right? We want to be in control. We want to get the credit. We want to outperform our neighbors, right? That's, That's the sinful nature talking inside of us. But there's nothing special inside any of us that qualifies us for priesthood, guys. There's nothing special in us that, it, that qualifies us for priesthood. It is given as an act of pure grace by God. Jesus said in John 15, 16, check this out. He says to the disciples, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Think about that. Jesus just said, you didn't choose me. I chose you, and I appointed you that you should bear fruit and that your fruit will remain. In other words, that you were created beforehand for good works that I had already prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. You can't take credit for any of your fruit. You can't take credit that you're following me because I'm the one that chose you. Jesus says in that same chapter, John 15, 8, he said, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Jesus is the one that makes sure that you glorify God by bearing fruit. God chose you to bear fruit, he equips you to bear fruit, and he empowers you to bear fruit. Let me ask you, when's the last time that you thought about what those good works might be that Jesus has chosen for you? What are those good works that he has prepared beforehand for you? Are you walking in them? Are you doing them? Is that something you've thought about? God has a plan for every single one of you. Did you know that? Like if you're a Christian, like he has prepared good works for you. Not all, they, they don't all look the same. Each of us have different gifts. You know, some of us, our lives are going to look different and the way that we serve God is going to look different. And that's God's wisdom in putting the church together, right? Not everybody's the same. We have different gifts and strengths. And, you know, some of us are the people that are out front teaching. And some of us like to serve behind the scenes. And, you know, God puts that together in his wisdom. That's the church, right? Now, for those of us who understand um, 
that we're saved by grace through faith, then this passage, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, is very good news. Because knowing that God does the prepping is, is good news for anybody who feels like they can't measure up. Because guess what? Nobody can measure up. Romans 3.10 says that no one is righteous. No, not one. Perhaps the thought of serving God seems impossible to you. Maybe you're sitting there this morning and you, and you feel like serving God just seems impossible to me. Or maybe you feel like you've already failed miserably and you just don't see how you can come back. Or maybe you came in here thinking that there's no way God would ever use or choose to use somebody like you. Well, he can. <laughs> and he will if you'll let him. Salvation is by grace. No one measures up, but not even Aaron measured up. And that's why the next step on this preparation process is you must be washed and robed. This is what happened next, okay? So God calls Aaron, right? And the next step in this preparation process is we need to be washed and robed. So in our passage, Moses washes Aaron with water. Aaron and the other priests were washed with water every time before they entered into the tabernacle. And really what that symbolized is it symbolized a desire to be washed from uh, on the inside, okay? Uh, it signified a, a desire for an inward washing. Now, we don't dump water on everyone at the front door before they walk into church anymore. Everybody glad about that? We don't like dump water over your head before you walk in? I'm serious. That's what the priests had to do. Like they had to wash with water before they entered into the tent of meeting. So we don't have to do that anymore. And that's a good thing because we're cleansed not with water, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. You might feel dirty or unworthy this morning, but that's why Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He died in your place and his blood cleanses you of your sins. So after Aaron washed, Moses put the priestly garments on him. Uh, this is kind of what they might have looked like right here. They might have looked like this, okay? So uh, there's a lot going on here. It's, uh, number one, very detailed, very bright colors. Uh, that was purposeful. Uh, so you'll notice that uh, on these garments, um, there's a turban, and there was a gold plate on that turban, and, and it read, Holy to the Lord, okay? Holy to the Lord was inscribed on there. Uh, and on the breastplate, uh, there were 12 stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. So Aaron would go into the presence of God and he mediated, he interceded for those 12 tribes of Israel before the presence of God. And by putting on this, this garment, Aaron was identifying who he was. It's kind of like wearing a uniform. Like Uniforms help us to identify what someone does, right? Like, for example, let's... Let's kind of go through an exercise real quick. I'm going to throw up a couple of uniforms behind me, and I want you guys to tell me what these people do. Okay, here's number one, uniform number one. What's that guy? Okay, next. What's that guy? Okay, next. What's that guy? Chef. Chef. Okay, now I'm not trying to demean you or patronize you. Here, here's what I'm trying to do by this. Like, it took us a split second to recognize exactly what those people do, right? Why? Right, they wore right. Like nobody else wears that big poofy hat, right? Like who else wears that? I mean, nobody goes around wearing that for fashion, right? You know, people don't typically walk around like wearing, you know, one of the sheriff badges they got at the dollar store. At least not adults, right? Like we wouldn't do that, or you might get laughed at in public, right? If you wear one of those badges with one of those, you know, fancy hats, you're a police officer. If you have a gun on your waist, hopefully you're a police officer. Or you need to go to jail, okay? Right? 
So we have uniforms, and, and the uniforms tell us about a person's calling, about their vocation. Now, church, we are called to be priests. We're called to be holy to the Lord. We are called to serve. And here's my question for you. Can people, when they look at you, identify you as a priest? Does your forehead read, holy to the Lord? Like that police officer, when he walks around with that uniform on, or that chef, when he has his chef hat on, and they can identify them, can people look at you and see, hey, that's a priest. That's a servant of God. That's a servant of God. The question is, can people identify you as a priest? Romans 13, 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like Aaron put on those garments, we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when people look at us as Christians, they should see Jesus. They should see Jesus in us. If you talk like the world and you walk like the world, you're wearing something, but it's not Jesus Christ. God calls us to holiness because He wants us to be reflections of Him. And you can't serve in God's presence without putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't serve in God's presence without putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. You must have that garment on. Aaron couldn't walk into the tabernacle without putting that garment on, right? What would have happened to Aaron? Does anybody know what would have happened to Aaron if he would have decided to waltz in there without that garment? Yeah, he would have died. Not good, right? Not good. So what makes us think that we can run around saying that we're servants of God when we're not putting on Jesus Christ, we're not, when we're not striving to, to live in righteousness? Putting on, here's the deal. Putting on the Lord Jesus simply means you're a child of God now, so start acting like it. It's not, it, it, you don't put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't, you don't strive after holiness so that God will accept you. You do that because you've already been accepted and forgiven by God, and now you are a part of his family, and you merely start to act like who you are. It's kind of like being let out of jail, and you're let out of jail. When you're let out of jail, you don't keep wearing the jumpsuit, the prison-issued jumpsuit around the next day, right, going out to the restaurant. Like, why would you do that? Take that junk off and put on some new clothes, right? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop putting those jail clothes on. Stop walking in that stuff that you've been delivered from, that you've been rescued from. You need to be washed and you need to be robed. Lesson number three, you must be anointed. You must be anointed. So verses 10 to 13, you'll notice, it made me laugh because Moses just like throws oil on everything, like everything. He dumps oil on everything in the tabernacle, all the utensils, on Aaron, on Aaron's sons. Everything is anointed with oil, but there's a purpose for that. There's a reason. It says that Aaron did this to consecrate, uh, Moses did this to consecrate Aaron in the tabernacle. That word consecrate means to fill up. That's what that word means, to fill up. And the word ordination means to fill the hand. It means to fill the hand. So what, what it, what's kind of being communicated here is it's as if God is filling Aaron up with the fuel that he's going to need to do his work. It's, that's really what, what's being communicated here by this anointing that's taking place. God is giving Aaron the fuel, the uh, blessing that he's going to need to be able to serve him. The oil itself was not magic. It was just symbolic, by the way, of, of God's blessing, of God's anointing of Aaron. So 
God sets Aaron apart by giving him the power and the blessing to do what he called him to do. So God doesn't call Aaron and go, hey, Aaron, here's what I want you to do. Good luck serving me. I hope you don't screw it up. It's not what God does. God goes, hey, Aaron, I've called you to this, and I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to supply you with the strength. I'm going to supply you with the power. Now, God does not call us to be set apart today by anointing with oil. I oil my beard frequently, but that's not to empower me to serve God. It's just to give my beard a fuller, healthier look. I thought I'd get a bigger laugh out of that, but apparently not. We don't consecrate with oil today, but God does anoint us, okay? God does anoint us. When Jesus came, he was called the Messiah, which means the anointed one. That's what that word Messiah means, the anointed one. So God's anointing rested on Jesus at his baptism when the Holy Spirit descended upon him, uh, like we read about in Luke chapter 3. And then that happens at the end of Luke 3. And Luke chapter 4, the very first verse says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led around in the wilderness in the Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus ascended into heaven after his death and resurrection, he said, to his disciples, I'm not going to leave you guys as orphans. You're not going to be on your own. I will come back to you. I'm going to send the helper, which is the Holy Spirit. And then here's what we read in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Paul writes this to the church. He says, it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. God has anointed us. How has he anointed us? And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We're not anointed with oil. We're anointed with the Holy Spirit of God. Just like God didn't expect Aaron to perform the role of priest on his own, he doesn't expect you to either. He doesn't expect you to either. In fact, it's impossible for you to do it on your own. I want you guys to think about something for a second with me. If you are a born-again Christian, you're a born-again Christian, you're following Jesus, you're producing fruit in your life, then that means that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you. That's what Romans chapter 8 says. Do you realize that? How often, how often do, you, do you really think about that and let that settle in your heart? What are the implications of that? See, God doesn't just call you by grace and then say, good luck following me. Good luck, you know, trying to serve me and to help my kingdom come and my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He literally supplies us with the power that we need to do what he's called us to. And yet how often do we end up trying to serve God in our own strength? Don't we? We've got the, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwelling in us, and then we go off and we try to serve God, and we don't even think about relying on the spirit's power many times. As a kingdom of priests, we're called to live holy, set-apart lives. We're, we're called to, to talk to God on behalf of people. We're, ta- we're called to talk to people on behalf of God. And if you're not walking by the Spirit, those things are going to feel like drudgery. Like they're not going to be joyful things. Service is going to feel like an obligation. Prayer is going to feel like a chore. People are going to get on your nerves. That's what's going to happen when we're not walking and serving in the power of the Spirit. Many times, changing that is as simple as just taking the time to stop and pray. 
like, if you're scheduled to serve, like, on a Sunday morning or something like that, like, you've got a volunteer role here, right, and you just notice you're stressed out and you're just kind of in a sour mood, it may be because you're trying to serve in your own strength. So take five minutes and stop and pray. Like, literally, you come to me and I'm like, hey, we need to get this done. I, would, I will be thrilled if you look at me and say, hey, Pastor Jared, I'm going to do that, but I really just feel like I need to take five and just, and just go uh, be with the Lord. I'll be like, amen, that's awesome, you do that. I'd much rather you do that than work, 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 and get frustrated and be doing it in your own strength, right? We don't have to do that. Martin Luther once said, uh, he said, I, I have so much to do today that I must pray for three hours instead of two. <laughs> kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Right? You're like, wait, what? If you have a lot to do today, shouldn't you pray less so that you have more time? No. You see, Martin Luther understood where the power to serve God comes from. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from abiding in Christ. Martin Luther knew that much more could be accomplished in the power of God than running around in his own strength. Okay. Lesson number four was the last lesson from Leviticus chapter 8. You must be committed you must be committed. So in verses 14 to 23, there are three different sacrifices that Aaron offers, okay? There, were, there was a sin offering, a burnt offering, and then a peace offering or an ordination offering, okay? So these first two offerings had to do with sin. So Aaron was the high priest, but Aaron was also a sinner, right? So Aaron needed to atone for his own sins, and that's what the first two sacrifices are for. Now, luckily, you and I do not have to go and offer sacrifices for our sins. We already talked about that, so we don't need to do that. Jesus has already died for our sins, and so we are right in God's eyes through faith in Jesus. But that third sacrifice that Aaron offered is called the Ram of Ordination. Look at Leviticus 8, 22 and 23 again. It says that, He presented the other ram, the ram of ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it, and Moses took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. What the heck is that all about? Well, I'll tell you what that's all about. What Basically, uh, the thumb and the big toe and the ear were... uh, Uh, represented the extremities of your body, okay? So by putting the blood of the ram of ordination on those three parts, what uh, what it was symbolizing is that Aaron was wholly committing himself to the service of God, okay? That's what it symbolized, that Aaron was wholly committing himself. And we're called to wholly commit ourselves in the service to God as well. Paul puts it like this in Romans 12.1. He says, I be- and this is the King James Version. I memorized it like this a long time ago, so forgive me. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Paul says, we need to present ourselves, our bodies, as a living sacrifice. Now, I want you to... Again, I'm going to draw our attention back to this. Paul does not say, offer yourselves so that God will love you and forgive you, does he? God doesn't say that, right? He says, by the mercies of God. You know what that mercies of God is referring to? It's referring to the first 11 chapters of Romans. (laughs) 
This is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And Paul's like, okay, I've just shared with you this incredible good news of Jesus Christ for 11 chapters. So in light of all of this, you're, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I told you that in chapter 8, verse 1. In chapter 9, I chose you. I told you that God chose you before the foundation of the world, right? In light of these things, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Because God gave his all for you, give your all to God. Because God gave his all for you, give your all to God. This is a thanksgiving offering that we offer. You see, the Levitical priesthood, they worshipped God by offering sacrifices of grain and animals. But we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual worship. We worship God by offering our lives. As a living sacrifice. But what does that look like? I want us, as we close, so I don't want that to remain abstract. I want you to understand exactly what it looks like to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, to be committed. I think that it, it looks like throwing yourself wholeheartedly into the role of being a priest. This is why we have covenant membership, by the way. You saw that announcement earlier. Being set apart to serve God means that there is work involved. We're not a church of attenders, but of participants. The last thing I want Fellowship Oshawa to be is another church where they talk about it, but they don't actually do it. As long as I have anything to do with it, we will never be a church of hypocrites. We will never be a church that says we love our city, and then we sit around and we don't actually go and serve them. We'll never be a church that says we actually believe the gospel and that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life, and then we don't go tell people about him. We won't be like that as a church. We're not a church of attenders, but a church of participants. So when we covenant in membership, we're covenanting with each other and with God. We're covenanting with each other and with God. We commit to serve God and the church with our gifts and to serve one another in love. We offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. I mean, if you really think about it, this Aaron's ordination service that we read about, Leviticus chapter 8, that's his membership covenant. <laughs> that is his church membership covenant right there. When we are committed, we can be effective in carrying out our role as priests. As we close, here's three things that we can do as priests. Real quick, I want to run through. Okay, Three things that you can do as priests. Number one, committed priests lead others into the worship and the praise of God, right? So 1 Peter 2.9, let's go full circle back to that verse. Remember it said, you are a, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that. So God saved Israel so that they would go and tell the nations how good and how gracious and how mighty God is. And as a result... Sinners can hear the good news about God's mercy, and God gets glory as we proclaim His excellencies to the world. And church, that is why God has saved you. That is why God has saved you. You were saved so that all the world could see God's mercy and His power in your life, and that they could also be invited to receive that mercy. If you are not proclaiming His excellencies, something is wrong, okay? Something's wrong if you're not proclaiming His excellencies. Here's what, 
Here's what it should look like in our life, okay? Say that you're in a community of people, and you are wandering around in the desert, right? And there's no water, uh, you're parched, you're thirsty, uh, you're wasting away from the heat, and then uh, one day you find water. You stumble upon a spring of water, and, and it's deep, and it's clear, and it's fresh, and it's cool, and, and you drink this water, and, and it's like your, your life has been given back to you. Well, what are you going to do next? Yeah, you're going to go back and you're going to tell everybody. You're going to go, hey, there's water. I found water. And it's cool and it's fresh and it's deep. you got to come and, and see this water with me and, and, and experience this with me and drink it with me. Be refreshed with me. Has that happened to you? I mean, is that how you see Jesus? Is that how you see him? Are you proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light? If you, if you don't feel like that this morning, I want you to know, first of all, that's okay. If you don't feel like that and you want to, talk to us. We want to help you. We want to help you discover Jesus as that buried treasure hidden in the field. We want to help you see Jesus as that spring of water in the desert. Come and talk to me afterwards, if that's you this morning. Okay. Committed priests lead others into the worship and praise of God. Priests, committed priests talk to man for God. Uh, I'm not going to spend really any time on this one this morning because we're going, this is going to be our week four sermon. But essentially, um, this doesn't just mean evangelism. When I say we talk to man on behalf of God, it doesn't just mean evangelism. It also means holiness. It means living set-apart lives. You know, we're supposed to light the way to life-changing encounters with God. One of the ways we light the way to God is we, you know, live Christ-like lives so that people see Jesus in us. That's going to be our week four sermon, so that's all I'm going to say about that here, and uh, we'll move on to the next one. Committed priests talk to God for man. That's called intercession. Intercession. There's only one great high priest seated at the Father's right hand. That's Jesus. But you and I are given the privilege of praying in Jesus' name with Jesus' authority. As priests, the high priest has given us access to the throne room of God. You and I have access to the throne room of God. We have the ear of the creator of the universe who practically invites us to come and make our requests known to him. Jesus said in John 16, 24, he said, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. There's the invitation. Take it up, right? Respond to that invitation. Jesus is like, hey, you ask in my name, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. We can pray boldly to God in the name of Jesus. We can pray for those who don't know how to pray for themselves, your friends, your family members, your neighbors. This is one of the most important responsibilities as a priest of God, guys. Like, people are not going to come to know God unless they come to know Him through us. You realize that, right? Like, like the hundreds of thousands of people that live around us here in this community, like, they're going to go to hell unless, like, the church tells them about Jesus. You know that? We're the mediators. We've been given that privilege and that responsibility to intercede. And here's the deal. 
Like prayer is such a big part of that. John Wesley once said, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. God's going to wait for you to ask before he does it. He's going to wait for you to ask him. Just think of your, your lost family or your friends. How many of you are praying for their salvation on a regular basis by name? Are you praying for their salvation on a regular basis by name? And, and let me ask a follow-up question. If you don't, who will? Is there anybody praying for them right now that they would come to know Jesus? If you don't, who will? I plead with you to start to pray for them. Make that a regular practice in your life and watch what God will do. Guys, we have access to God and he gives an open invitation to ask whatever we wish. Just think about the four friends who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus, right? They, They opened up a hole in the roof. And they, they just knew, if, they could, if I could just get my friend to Jesus, Jesus can heal him, right? And they made their way through the crowds and onto the roof, and they lowered their friends down to Jesus. They brought their friend to him. Who's to say if, if you don't get together with your brothers and sisters in Christ and you don't do everything that you can to bring your friends before the throne of Jesus in prayer, like those four men did for that paralyzed man? Do you think Jesus is not able to save just like he delivered that paralyzed man? He is. He is. Bring your friends and your family before Jesus. Maybe this morning you'd like to recognize Jesus as your great high priest for the first time. Maybe that's something you've never done before. And you're ready to go from darkness to light. You can go from darkness to light today. You, You can do that in a moment when we close in prayer. Maybe you've done that, but you're ready to commit this morning. You'd say, I haven't really been a committed priest. I haven't really been a committed servant of God. And you're ready to offer yourself a living sacrifice, a service to God. That might mean getting serious about leading others in praise. It might mean pursuing holiness, or maybe it means talking to God for man and interceding for other people. You can do that this morning. I'm going to close in prayer and give you the chance in your seats to respond to God. You know what God's calling you to do. You know what the Holy Spirit's leading you to do. And then we're going to throw some discussion questions up on the screen uh, as soon as I'm done praying. And we'll spend about five minutes just kind of giving you guys a chance to give some feedback and ask some questions there at your table. So let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for uh, your word. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are our great high priest, that we can come to you and pray to the Father in your name and that you hear us, that uh, that every prayer right now, even the prayers that are, that are being lifted up this morning in this room right now, as people are praying silently to themselves, that you hear them. <laughs> you hear our voices. You hear our cries. You hear our pleas for mercy. You hear our intercession for our loved ones because, Jesus, you have made a way. And we thank you and we praise you for that. I pray for people in here, God. I pray for anybody who does not know you. Jesus as their high priest, for anybody who has not placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that they would do that, that you would open up their eyes and see that they were created for one reason, and that's to have a relationship with you, and that one day uh, we will stand before a holy God, uh, and that Jesus, you are coming back to judge the living and the dead, but we don't have to face that judgment. Jesus, you, you died in our place, and if we place our faith and trust in you, then that means that you've already taken the judgment for us. But if we refuse that gospel offer, then we will take that judgment ourselves. God, I pray that nobody would make the choice to do that in here. 
I pray that every single person in this room would choose to place their faith in you and be covered by the blood of Jesus. And God, I pray for the rest of us that we would commit ourselves to this priesthood, that we would commit ourselves to service to you, that we would see the great privilege it is that, serve, to, that it is to serve in your body. Lord, we thank you for that privilege. We love you and I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.